Welcome to Indie Matters, the podcast from the Nevada Independent. I'm your host, Joey Lovato. And I'm reporter and producer Jacob Solis. This week on the podcast, our man in D.C., reporter Humberto Sanchez, calls up Nevada Senator Catherine Cortez Masto to talk about how federal government is responding to the small business and paycheck protection loans as they relate to Nevada. After that, Kristen Leonard and I talk about the loan programs on a smaller scale and how they're affecting local businesses. And at the end of the show, managing editor Elizabeth Thompson and I talk books in our Indie Reads segment. But first, let's give you an update on where things are regarding the coronavirus here in Nevada. The number of positive coronavirus tests continues to climb. As of recording this podcast on Thursday, April 16th, there are 3,321 cases statewide and 142 people have died. Those numbers will have increased by the time you hear this. Even so, there are signs in some other states that the curve may be beginning to flatten, and governors across the country have begun forming multi-state coalitions in order to coordinate a gradual reopening of the U.S. economy in the coming weeks and months. Those coalitions have led to questions of why Governor Steve Sisolak hasn't released a plan for Nevada's own reopening. At a press briefing Thursday night, Sisolak said more details should be available next week, but added he didn't have a benchmark date, saying he, quote, could not take the chance of overwhelming our health care system. Sisolak's remarks come as a handful of Republican state politicians have pushed the governor to specify an economic reopening plan, just as more serious Republican protests have taken aim at governors in a handful of Midwestern states, including Michigan and Ohio. As always, that's just part of this week's news. Unemployment continues to surge, overwhelming an underfunded and understaffed unemployment system that was struggling to meet demand even before the coronavirus. And as the first wave of federal relief from the CARES Act began this week, Nevada's small businesses received the fewest loans of any similarly sized state in the country. For our complete coverage of the coronavirus, including a live blog covering all of the most recent developments, and a thorough resource guide if you've been impacted by the pandemic, head to the NevadaIndependent.com. And now on to reporter Humberto Sanchez's interview with Senator Catherine Cortez Masto. So thanks for, for talking to me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Always, always happy to talk with you. And thanks for all the good work. Thank you. Um, and so I just wanted to really get your t- your thoughts on it. It seems like the state's not getting the, the aid, the recovery aid that it needs from the federal government. Why do you think that is? Well, I think it is getting the aid. We're, we're talking about what I am seeing, some uh, hiccups and challenges in certain programs. Mm-hmm. Um, I know, uh, and I was just on the call yesterday with some of our community health centers. Um, they've received $6.2 million. I know um, from the allocation from the um, $30 billion tranche of money from HHS that's going to our hospitals out of $100 billion, the state's getting $241 million. That's going to go to, what, 2,581 Medicare providers here in, in Nevada. So, And I've heard... Uh, literally from uh, um, individuals in this state who have received the rebate check. So I know the money's coming in, um, but I do think there are challenges yeah. and, uh, and and unfortunate ones that are, are hindering it, particularly for some of our small businesses. My frustration, and I, I agree with uh, my colleagues in the delegation, that um, uh, the SBA's archaic uh, 
policy decision about um, not allowing gaming operators to obtain small business loans is outrageous. And most importantly, particularly now in the CARES Act, I just, you know, we, we passed and I voted for legislation for that to come into all of our small businesses. The intent of Congress was for Every small business who was impacted by this pandemic would get some sort of relief or be able to apply for these small business loans. And for the, the administration, the SBA administrator, to limit our gaming facilities. You know what that means? That, that means that there are 265 gaming locations here in the state of Nevada that will not be able to participate in the Paycheck Protection Program yeah. because of the SBA decision. To me... That is, it's arrogant, it's, it's, it's reckless, and it ignores the intent of Congress during this crisis. And I, and I just, I am not done fighting on this. It is, uh, today, we are going to be uh, on a conference call with the vice president mm. and the task force. And these are the questions both Senator Rosen and I are going to be holding them accountable to and asking them why, what, 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 why, why should our gamers, not only in this state, you know, there's gaming in these facilities in 43 states now. Right. Gaming exists in 43 states and in tribal communities. So this, this archaic idea that somehow gaming and the workers that work in our gaming from our taverns to our small uh, manufacturers that manufacture slot machines or manufacture some of these gaming equipment should not partake in a business loan during the middle of the pandem- pandemic yeah. is to me just, it is outrageous. Do, do you think that the administration is hostile to Nevada? I mean, it, just looking at, uh, we, we did a little analysis of, of the PPP and this, well, about seven states that of equal size in terms of population in Nevada. Uh, Nevada did the worst among the seven. It, it only got one4 Three billion dollars, and it got the fewest number of loans. Do you think that the administration is hostile to this state? Well, I, I will tell you if you if you listen to what and can believe what the president says, he loves Nevada. Yeah. So I, it doesn't make sense to me, uh, and that's what we're looking at right now. I think there have been hiccups in um, in how this money has rolled out. I have been on with our uh, our Nevada Banking Association to talk with our bankers to say what is the challenge, what are the barriers. Uh, I, you know, to getting this money in, into our state. What do we need to do change? So we had a, a good conversation. There has been, uh, to my understanding and talking with them, and, and I'm seeing this nationally, uh, they're not getting the complete guidance that they needed to make them comfortable. Um, they are working through all of those issues um, to make sure that they can um, get these loans out. And, and you know, and I, and after talking with them last Friday, uh, it, it, we... We did get what one point two billion dollars into the state of Nevada just on the PPP loans, right? So yeah. that's what over four thousand loans. But more can be done. I'm looking at the other states that are um, comparable to ours with respect to population uh, and our small businesses. There's over what two hundred thousand of them here in the state of Nevada. Uh, we, we need to get more, and I don't. Uh, we're looking at it now. I'm trying to understand if it has something to do with. A large industry here somehow is that being impacted food and beverage or entertainment i don't know we're looking at that right now but i will tell you um my goal has been and will always be to get that money here we're going to figure it out talk with local folks and our local banks the other thing let me just stress this and i can't stress this enough the initial money that came in to nevada 
for our small businesses. Um, some of it came through the SBA, yeah. small bits, right? And then some came through our, our banks and, and credit unions. What I heard uh, in the community after talking with many of our chambers, North and South and, small, and our small businesses, was that unless you had an existing relationship with some of these banks, you were not going to be able to take out a loan as quickly as you would want to do. So that's why we are fighting now in this interim negotiation that's going on to put more money into um, the uh, program for small businesses to change it so that um, not only can does it not require that you have a, an existing relationship, yeah. we want to open it up so more community-based lenders can, can loan this money. Because I know the community-based lenders here in the state of Nevada, uh, they, they fund and work with our Farmers in, in northern Nevada, they work with uh, women, minority-owned and veteran-owned small businesses. They work with our nonprofits. So we should be providing more venues within which our businesses can access these funds. Aren't, and that's the goal. That's Those are the changes we're trying to make right now. Aren't there? Aren't all the banks participating, though? As I, I think the Nevada Bankers Association said something to that effect. Are there, you, there's still a segment of banks that, need to, that aren't participating in this program? Well, what, what I'm saying is uh, what we need to do is open up to more than just banks. Okay. So not only community-based lenders, not, right now some of our small banks and credit unions with less than $10 billion in consolidated assets don't get to I participate. See. Okay. And so we want to open it up more. But we also, I also know that there are non-bank, um, what we call CDFIs, uh, financial institutions, that can uh, also provide and be able to get this money out there. There's fintech. Right, yeah. uh, that's out there that we can start working. I know PayPal and some of the others are, are starting to be able to lend some of this money as well. So my goal is let's let's, let's get money out there to different venues so that we can make sure we're contacting, connecting with all of our small businesses. Um, and I guess this is kind of an insidery question. I guess do you think uh, that seniority plays any role in, in why Nevada didn't get uh, so much? The delegation is is you know rebuilding its seniority now. Do you think that plays into the uh, into Nevada not getting uh, its due in terms of the PPP? No, not at all. Okay. I, no, I think we've done an incredible job as a delegation um, in uh, not only uh, putting into place um, the necessary language in the CARES Act to for, for our state. You got to remember the CARES Act and the the language in the CARES Act does not limit or narrow any of this money. Right. Right. It is only this administration now, which is the venue through which the money is getting distributed, is making arbitrary decisions and narrowing the guidelines. Mm -hmm. And uh, and what I've said initially is uh, ignoring the spirit and intent of, of the CARES Act, what we passed in Congress. That has been a challenge on so many levels. Mm -hmm. And that's why you see the pushback. That's why we have been talking with the Treasury, why we've been talking with SBA and other administrators. Look at the Labor Secretary. Yeah. My goodness, the Labor Secretary has come out and, and further narrowed the guidelines um, with respect to unemployment insurance, the expanded unemployment insurance during the pandemic. Well, if you look at the language in the CARES Act, that wasn't as narrowly written. Right. Uh, it, the intent was to go to everyone that is being impacted. But we have this administration of people making decisions to narrow it. And it just, to me, that, that is not what we need right now in the middle of a pandemic. This is a worldwide crisis that we need to ensure we're getting relief to everyone. And so there should be no arbitrary decisions being made by people in, in authority and ignoring the intent of Congress. 
All right. And uh, I just want to ask also, uh, are you being vetted for vice president by uh, the vice president Joe Biden's presidential campaign? Yeah, I can tell you, honestly, right now, my focus is uh, working on behalf of Nevada on the issues that we just talked about. And uh, so I am spending 100% of my time focused on what we need to do to uh, address this pandemic, bring relief into, into our state, uh, support our hospitals and our frontline responders and, and doctors, and, and, then, and then working on what we need to do as we look at uh, a recovery strategic plan for coming out of this. And that, that is where I spend all of my time right now. So that's not a no. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell you the focus right now is, is really just this. And, uh, and, and, and those are the conversations uh, I am having uh, every day. And just wanted to get a quick reaction from you on uh, the president talking about adjourning the Senate in order to try to confirm more nominees. Is, is, is this something that uh, he, he it seems like he has the power to do it. What, what is your reaction to that, just that idea? I think it's, a, again, it's, what we should all be focused on is, is, is this pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, And and I say that because um, right now it requires us to work not just in a bipartisan way, but it requires all of our agencies and all of our branches of government to work together in the middle of this crisis. Um, I think it's a distraction, an unnecessary distraction that we don't read right now. We are in pro forma session. Yeah. Um, which means that to get anything passed right now, we need unanimous consent and everybody working together. I quite honestly think that's a good thing. That means we have to talk with one another. We have to work together and negotiate to get things done. So to me, that is an unnecessary distraction. The focus should be on how we address this health crisis, how we stop the spread of the virus, how we get more test kits out there, how we ensure we're looking at the day that we can open our doors again and engage in an economic recovery and put back people back to work. That should be our primary focus, and we should be thinking about that all the time. And also, just one more question. On, on the PPP, uh, there's, the Republicans are off, or want to add $250 billion more uh, by unanimous consent. Uh, the, Republic, the Democrats have objected. Uh, what is your thoughts on that? Uh, do, do, should we add money to the PPP right now? Well, that's what I was saying earlier. Yes, we're going to need more money, but we need to make sure that the money gets to those small businesses who are not get or able to access it uh, with the existing tranche of funds that mm-hmm. came in. That's why we need to make sure we can um, put that money into community-based financial institutions that are serving um, our, our small businesses, like the women-owned, minority-owned uh, family businesses. We need to make sure that we get it into different venues, of, uh, like I said earlier, yeah. those small banks and credit unions right now with less than 10 billion consolidated assets let's give them uh, some of this money to loan because they already have relationships we don't we've we got to make sure that um, we are opening that door to get the money to where it's needed those are the changes i would like to see along with additional funds um, for the program going into our small businesses and that's what's being negotiated right now when do you see uh, any action happening well, I know um, after talking in, uh, with leadership that there is negotiations going on now, right now, um, between Leader um, Schumer and Speaker Pelosi and uh, Secretary of Treasury and the administration. I am, I am hopeful that they are able to uh, come to some sort of interim agreement. And let me just, just say this is just an interim negotiation that we would do to try to 
get more money with those changes that I talked about to small businesses. But mm. I am also hearing from our governor, uh, Governor Sisolak, along with all of the governors in a bipartisan way, are saying we need more money for yeah. states and local government. And so part of that should be, well, then let's get it to them in this interim package, along with the additional funding that we need for our health care system. Um, and so that's those three things to me are crucial, and we need to get those out there now in this interim package, and then work on a fourth package because we know there are still gaps and more relief that's needed. Um, and I think that to me is the reasonable way to approach this. And I just I am hopeful that we are, can come together in a bipartisan way. It, it, this requires everybody working together now and stop playing with politics. No gotcha moments. Mm-hmm. Right. No unnecessary political grandstanding. Let's work together. There are so many people that I'm hearing from that are sending me letters, they're calling into into my office. Uh, you know, I'm on the calls regularly with leaders across the state. People are still suffering, and yeah. there's a lot of concern and fear out there, and yeah. we've got to be working together to address that. All right, ma'am. That's, uh, that's all the questions I had for you. Uh, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. And, and please, all, stay safe. You too. And I so appreciate all the good work you do. You too. Thank you so much. When Congress passed a $2 trillion coronavirus relief package last month, it came bundled with more than $376 billion meant to buoy tens of thousands of small businesses nationwide that have been devastated by widespread shutdowns. Nevada businesses are expected to receive $1.25 billion in loans from the Small Business Administration. And while the loans are intended to keep people employed and small businesses operational, restrictions on gaming are leaving many without help. Here to break down how the SBA programs have affected Nevada is Nevada Independent intern Kristen Leonard. Kristen, thanks for joining me. Hi, thanks for having me. All right, Kristen, so let's start simple here. Um, Let's talk about those Small Business Administration loans. What are they, how do they work, and what do people need to know about them? Yeah, so the two most important kinds of loans for small businesses during the coronavirus pandemic are economic injury disaster loans and paycheck protection program loans. Um, The ones I'm going to talk about most today are Paycheck Protection Program loans, which are meant to incentivize small businesses to keep on all of their employees, even if they can't keep their businesses operational during the business shutdown. So that Paycheck Protection Program, those loans aren't necessarily loans, right, depending on how businesses treat their employees. Can you explain that a little bit? Yes, so the government um, and the SBA will actually forgive these loans as long as businesses meet a certain number of requirements in how they use the funds. Uh, The biggest requirement is that a business has to have the same number of employees on June 30th as they did on February 15th, which means that they can't lay off any of their employees um, and so that they can prove that all of the money that they're receiving is being used to keep people employed, to keep people earning a paycheck. For businesses that already did lay off employees, um, they are allowed to rehire them so that as long as they can prove that throughout the period of pay, they have the same amount of employees. So they can't rehire, say, mid-June and say, well, now we have the same number we used to. They have to be able to prove that they were paying the same number of employees throughout the, the period that the loan covers. And then the other requirement for full forgiveness is that 75% of the money that a business receives has to be used exclusively for payroll costs. The other 25% can be used for mortgages or any other business expenses, but 75% has to be used just for paychecks for employees. 
Mm. And I see when it comes to Nevada, things get a little more complicated. Can you explain why some businesses here aren't getting those loans? Yes. So the general requirement for a small business to qualify is that they need to have under 500 employees. That can change a little bit depending on what field the business is in. Um, It varies slightly. But another problem is that with the Small Business Administration, they have additional restrictions regarding the types of businesses that can qualify. Um, There have been restrictions that have been lifted already against religious institutions, um, against independent contractors not being able to qualify. But one that remains is a restriction against businesses that make their revenue through legal gambling. Originally, that restriction meant that any business that made more than one third of their annual revenue through legal gambling could not qualify for these loans. As of April 15th, that was changed so that it's any business that makes more than 50% of their revenue and more than $1 million annually through gaming. Mm. And so I feel like when people think about casinos in Nevada, they obviously think about the strip, they think about these massive gaming floors. But there are a lot of small businesses, taverns, even grocery stores that have slot machines or, or other kinds of gambling. Uh, how are those businesses affected? Were you able to talk to some of them? Yeah, I've talked to several business owners who are obviously frustrated by the situation. Um, for many of them, even though gaming makes up a large portion of their profits, it's not where most of their operating costs go towards. Uh, for example, I spoke with Andrew Donner with Timber Hospitality, who said that his business isn't going to qualify because between their seven locations, they do go over that $1 million threshold, but 95% of their operating costs goes towards payroll for employees. It goes towards operating their restaurants. So all of the money that they would be given would be used to cover the restaurants and cover payroll, but they can't receive it because of the revenue they get from gaming. And so for these business owners, and I think a, a lot, even of a lot of other business owners who are even receiving these SBA loans, there are still a lot of questions over what the future is going to look like. I mean, what are these business owners asking? I think business owners want a little bit more clarity when it comes to how the funding has been allocated. Obviously, things changed very rapidly from the time the loans were announced to the time the money was actually going out. Um, right now, there isn't Uh, money left through the SBA program that's currently being distributed and the money that has been distributed, it's been uneven in terms of distribution by state and region. Nevada has actually had the fewest um, paycheck protection program loans of any similarly sized state. And I think a lot of that comes down to these restrictions against gaming companies because so many businesses in Nevada, even if gaming isn't their number one source of income, it's something that they have in a bar or a restaurant, whereas in other states, a bar or restaurant may not have those additional sources of revenue that's making it harder for them to qualify. So when it comes to these businesses in Nevada, I mean, even if there are gaming machines there, what really makes them different from other restaurants? I mean, what did, what did the business owners tell you? I think the business owners are just as confused by that question Um, when they're talking about all of the employees they have on staff. What they really want to know is what makes my employees at my restaurant different from any other employee at another restaurant in the country that is receiving aid. Hmm. Well, we'll have to keep an eye on Capitol Hill. Kristen Leonard is an intern for the Nevada Independent. Thank you so much, Kristen. Yeah, thank you for having me. (laughs) 
right, and so we are at the last segment of the podcast, the uh, the fun segment. We're going to do an indie reads this week, where we've got uh, we talk about some books. We're all big readers over here at the Nevada Independent, as we hope you guys are too. While you're reading our website, but you know we've all got a lot of uh, free time on our hands now, at least a little bit more than we used to. And so we figured we'd recommend a couple of books. And I'm here with managing editor Elizabeth Thompson to do that. How's it going, Elizabeth? It's going well, Joey. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, and so uh, what you've got two books. Do you want to you want to tell me what what books you've got? Yeah, so I chose a, a fictional and a nonfiction. So let's start with the fictional work, although it's a historical fiction, so it's, it's based in fact. It's set in World War II in occupied France. It's called All the Light We Cannot See by author Anthony Doerr, who's won a number of awards and won quite a few for this book. Mm-hmm. Um, the main characters who don't meet each other uh, immediately in the book are a blind French girl, uh, and a German boy who gets recruited into the Nazi youth corps. And so their two stories kind of unfold separately for a while uh, during the book. The, the author did a really great job of working in uh, the facts about what was going on in Germany, not just with the war, but culturally, um, with businesses and manufacturing. Um, and then the other part of the story was just really kind of fascinating, this blind girl who worked who lived with her father initially near Paris. He worked at the Museum of National of Natural History. Um, and he had, ends up in the middle of some things he doesn't want to end up in the middle of because there's a, a precious stone in the museum um, that the Reich is after. I, I won't say too much more than that. I don't want to ruin all the good stuff. But it was really suspenseful and wonderful writing and it had a kind of a cool surprising ending so recommend that okay it kind of it kind of sounds like um i think i feel like i read this book when i was little the book thief i don't know if you ever read the book Thief. oh yeah i mean a little bit you know with the trying to hide uh, you know protect yeah protect it's got artifacts. that same uh it's got that same uh thing he's also yeah. just sort of a, i want to say to people who are who are kind of book fiends it's a He's just a stunning writer. The the physical mm-hmm. detail um, and some of the met- metaphors that he worked in. Uh, that it's it's a gr- it's not just an interesting tale, but his writing itself was quite beautiful. So I'm I'm happy to recommend it. All right, and then you uh, have a then, second book. Yeah, I do. I'm reading this book for the second time. Um, Catherine Schultz wrote a book called Being Wrong. Is that a um, is that a book by John Ralston? It's not by John Ralston. <laughs> is not, it about John Ralston? <laughs> it's not co-written by John Ralston either. Uh, no, it's not. So it's just it's really fascinating. She 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 puts a spin on the human tendency to believe with all our might, you know, all our heart and all our mind that we're right about something, uh, only to find out uh, that we're wrong on so many subjects in so many different ways throughout history, whether it's once upon a time, everyone on earth was sure that the sun revolved around the earth, right? Like, mm-hmm. And people actually died when yeah. it started being suggested that that wasn't the case. So that's one of the first examples she uses in the book, but she kind of walks us through history with, with a lot of humor and, and style and cleverness, pointing out all the times we've been wrong when we were so sure we were right talking about kind of the mechanics of that psychologically and and talking about which is really interesting and very apropos in today's political world about how most of us still are not very good at admitting when we're wrong mm-hmm. 
it takes a lot to convince us that we're wrong. And then even when we find out we're wrong, it's hard for us to just say, oops, sorry. You know, there has to be a caveat and a but and, you know, excuses making and all this. And her encouragement to people throughout the book is that we should just stop pretending that we know everything all the time and accept the fact that we're going to be wrong a lot. And we should be more humble. Mm-hmm. Um, when we're wrong and just accept that we're all like that. It doesn't make you stupid. You know, humans are fallible. Um, she gives some really funny and great examples throughout American political history too. So if you're, the, if you're a person who's interested <laughs> in that topic, the people listening to this podcast uh, are probably interested in that. <laughs> yeah. I, I, you know, I, well, I, I would think so. So the, I love the subtitle to her. The subtitle of her book is adventures in the margin of error. And, she, and again, I love really strong and good writers. So it's, for me, it's not just about the topic. It, like the writing has to be great to hold my attention. Um, mm-hmm. She's so clever. She, you know, she makes you laugh dozens of times as, as she's saying things. And um, she's really just a very engaging uh, writer on, on a topic that I, I think uh, affects all of us from time to time. From, well, everyone except for John Ralston, like I said. <laughs> <laughs> oh, John is wrong, <laughs> as you and I both know. Yes, um, from yes, time to time. I don't want to shock our readers, uh, <laughs> our, our listeners, by saying that out loud. Highly recommend it. What are you reading these days? So I just finished um, *Sirens of Titan* by Kurt Vonnegut. I think it's his second book. A Vonnegut um, book. I'm impressed. Yes. yes. He, uh, I like, I like her Vonnegut. I mean, you know, he's kind of satirical and yes. uh, maybe th- this book is concerningly apt for the times, even though it was written in the fifties, but uh, you know, it's about like the uh, Malachi Constance is like the wealthiest man in the future of America and kind of about, I mean, it definitely has themes of fate, but it also has themes of war and a lot about a lot of critiques of capitalism which is really interesting so mm-hmm. um you know if you've read any vonnegut before you kind of know what you're getting into um, i think this is maybe his funniest book it's very entertaining very funny it's very interesting and it kind of flip-flops between he ends up in Mar. there's like martians and there's kind of this pending war between earth and mars and mercury mm-hmm. and stuff so um it's definitely sci-fi it's just probably his most sci-fi book as well as his funniest um but yeah it's entertaining uh, and it's weirdly relevant. <laughs> I'm going to sound like such a mom here, but I'm so proud of you for reading Vonnegut. <laughs> I, I read everything he wrote when I was um, young, about your age, uh, yeah. along with everything else I could get my, my, my hands on. And I agree with you. It's one of it probably his most entertaining novel in terms of having, you know, being, being funny. But it, yeah. it's just remarkable, isn't how, you know, there's so much sort of brilliant satire that was written decades ago. And if it's brilliant enough, yeah. uh, it doesn't go out of style and it continues to uh, apply decades later. There were definitely moments when I was reading it where I'm like, this, this is like so accurate to where we are today. Yes. I think but of my, George Orwell's 1984 oh, almost yeah. every day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately. <laughs> but my, my mom is a librarian and my brother also works at a library. So we, we've got a lot of books. And as you can see behind me, listeners can't see, but I have quite a big bookshelf behind me as well. You do, Joe. I love <laughs> it. When we do our Zoom meetings, Joey always um, comes in with this, all these bookshelves behind him. I did not know your mom was a librarian. That is very interesting. She, she is. Yes. She's, well, she's an elementary school librarian now. And, and then the, this, the other book that I'm reading right now is called 10th of December by George Saunders. Oh yeah. Um, it's a book of short stories, three short stories in the first short story is really dark. <laughs> um, I was hoping it would be a little lighter cause it was said it was supposed to be kind of light, but his writing style is very bizarre. It's very hard to read initially. 
he changes perspectives a lot and you're never really sure when you're changing perspectives, which is really difficult. If you've ever read Cormac McCarthy, um, you'll know. Oh yeah. Like that kind of writing style. Um, it's interesting. Um, but each short story also has a different writing style. So it's kind of jarring a little bit, but um, really interesting. You ever read The Road? I have. I, read, I, I did a, a 20 page paper my senior year of high school on the road. <laughs> Sorry, listeners, forget it. We're going off on multiple tangents yes. here. We, we should have known this would happen when we started yes. talking about books. <laughs> <laughs> about books. But yeah, so I mean, that's, uh, those are the two that I'm reading. 10th of December by George Saunders. I'm only a little ways in. Um, if you're okay. looking for something different in terms of writing style, I would definitely check it out. And then okay. definitely read Sirens Titan. I think it's kind of a, a sleeper in Vonnegut's. Uh, I th- everybody should read all of Vonnegut. That's my last word. Yes. All right, E. Well, thanks for chatting with me and uh, stay safe, wash your hands, you know. Thanks, <laughs> Joey. Keep, keep reading books. Thank you for listening to this episode of Indie Matters. We'd like to thank Catherine Cortez Masto, Humberto Sanchez, Kristen Leonard, and Elizabeth Thompson for being on the podcast this week. If you like what you heard and you want to hear more, you can do so by searching for Indie Matters on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever else you listen. If you'd like to donate to us, you can find the Support Our Work page on the NevadaIndependent.com. We'd greatly appreciate anything you can afford to give during these trying times. If you want minute-to-minute updates on the situation in the state, you can also check out our website. And if you have comments, criticism, or praise, you can email me at jacob at theenvyindie.com or joey at joey at theenvyindie.com. And if you want to sponsor the podcast or an indie event, email editors at theenvyindie.com. People with Bodies does our theme music, and you can find more of their music on Spotify or Bandcamp. Thank you for listening to Indie Matters. I'm your host, Joey Lovato. And I'm reporter and producer Jacob Solis. And we'll talk to you next week. Thank you.